From our headquarters in New York City, this is Business of Home. I'm your host, Dennis Scully. Every week, I'll be talking to leaders and innovators from all corners of the home industry. My guest this week is fabric industry veteran David Claristenfeld, the vice president of Fabricut. Recently, David's company acquired the boutique designer brand Clarence House and announced they'd stop selling the collection to the public online. I spoke with David about the strategy behind the decision, the challenging economics of sampling, and why, despite a lot of noise, the industry isn't going to change as radically as some people think. This week's podcast is sponsored by Cherish, interior designer's beloved source for chic, one-of-a-kind furniture, art, and decor. If you're a design pro and not in their trade program, you should be. Starting now, designers earn $75 cash for every $5,000 they spend on Cherish, plus access to net pricing and specialized live customer service. Sign up at Cherish.com. That's C-H-A-I-R-I-S-H.com backslash trade. So for, for people in the audience that might not be familiar with, with you and, and sort of your, your background, let's, let's start by sort of explaining how you came to sort of be in this industry uh, early on. Okay. Well, mine was sort of fortuitous. I had moved to Los Angeles when I was 21 years old. I had originally been from Los Angeles and moved away, came back. And at 21, after I'd finished university, I worked in the movie business. I was basically a runner. I was a production assistant. I was an editor's assistant. I was trying to write a screenplay. I was living on a boat. I, I had definitely the life that a 21, <laughs> 22, 23-year-old would love. Just the time to do it. And with yeah. no money whatsoever other than what I was really making as a bartender at night. But those were my days. And it was, it was exactly what I needed at that point in my life. And my mother had, being a typical Jewish mother, was, okay, that's enough. You've had your yeah. fun go become a lawyer or a doctor. <laughs> right. Um, so I took my LSATs and I GMATs and I ended up going to school in Los Angeles. I went to UCLA. I went to law school there and I graduated and was a lawyer for six years, at which point a financial advisor at the time said, is this the track that you want? Do you want to be a lawyer forever? Or are you going to go for partnership track? I said, actually, I'd like to own something that manufactures something. And he said, well, what do you want to make? I said, I don't know. I don't care. I just want to make something. And I said, if you have any older or people that, that you work with or anybody that you're, who's interested in selling a company, let me know. And he said, I can't think of anybody. Called me the next day. He said, you know what? My wife's cousin is a 70-year-old guy. He owns this upholstery manufacturer out in El Monte, California. Would you ever be interested in meeting him? I said, sounds amazing. And I ended up going to work with Joe Lewitt, who had survived World War II in the Polish resistance. Tough old guy, greatest guy. And we built up this company called Dunhill Four Seasons Upholstery. And he Dunhill had, Four Seasons. Yeah. Great, great he company. Great names. Yes. I'm, great, I'm amazed great he never brand. got sued and I, I never got sued. Say, it was yeah. like, how did he have those names? Yeah. And he built up this, this company and it, we, we continued to build it. And uh, one of our biggest customers was a company called Lee Jova. And I really did not know the fabric business mm. other than the mills who would come sell fabrics to us. So Valdez would come and uh, Mastercraft mm. would come and they'd be selling us fabrics. And we, okay. we had really all these great fabric suppliers, but I didn't understand the editing side of the business. Right. And so we were manufacturing Lee Jofa's furniture at the time that Kravit purchased Lee Jofa and Lisa Kravit, my first experience with Lisa, who I love, 
uh, flew out to uh, meet Although with this Don- first encounter was This a little, was not a great first tough, encounter. She came tough. out and she said, yeah. we love what you do, but we're going to go make our furniture in North Carolina. Mm. And that was a big chunk of my business. And so I had to find another customer and it ended up being a company called Decorators Walk. And Decorators Walk was this wonderfully large distributor of fabrics and furniture throughout the entire United States and had beautiful showrooms everywhere and actually started buying more furniture than we had ever supplied to Lee Jofa hmm. and became a very good customer of ours until they stopped paying the bills as well. And and for those who might not be familiar with Decorators Walk or who don't remember, Decorators Walk had these huge showrooms. Bigger yeah. bigger than any showrooms that are around right now. Right. Yeah. I not- mean, the entire 18th floor of the D&D building, two yeah. floors in the Pacific Design Center, basically the largest showroom in Houston, the largest showroom in Dallas, the largest showroom in Boston yeah. of any of the other companies in our industry right now. And so we ended up doing a tremendous amount of business with them until they weren't able to pay their bills. And my background as a lawyer was as a bankruptcy lawyer. And I I really was able to identify some of the problems that they were having in their company. And the major problem being their real estate. Mm. And their real estate was way too large, even under the terms of their sweetheart leases with these landlords. And once those sweetheart leases came up, and do there was no way they could continue to operate their businesses based on the volumes that they were doing and the margins that they were making. And the other other major factor with Decorators Walk is they had way too many products for what they were sure. selling. Sure. Uh, their argument back was, "We have the warehouse. What does it matter? <laughs> we um, we'll just put space. it in there." Sure. And so we were able to cut down the amount of fabrics. We were able to negotiate leases around the country with all of our landlords because back then leases were everybody wanted one. So we were able to give back all these spaces. We were able to actually sell some of these spaces to other tenants. And we were able to really right-size the ship when it came to Decorator's Walk. Yeah, so Decorator's Walk for me was basically going to university. Unfortunately, it happened right at the time. uh, We opened up the New York showroom, finally finished construction, opened it up September 6th of 2001. 2001. And when September 11th happened, we were informed by our bank that they no longer wanted to participate in our experiment and we had to sell the company, which is when I met Fabricut. We were supposed to sell it to Fabricut. Um, right. Fabricut almost buys it. Fabricut almost buys Decorators right. Walk, uh, very close to buying it. Very and close then, to buying uh, it. And then Schumacher actually jumps in the middle. Jerry Pichel and Nick Lomagino at the time basically said, we want the company. And mm. they offered more money than right. uh, Fabricut did. Right. It wasn't my money. It was venture capital money. I was not the one to make the decision. Mm. Okay. And, so it was the investors. that And had... the investors. Okay. And, and everybody walked away much happier with the Schumacher money, except for Fabricut where they didn't walk away with the company that they had wanted to buy. Right. And uh, so they took about a year to sort of figure out what to do after not buying Decorators Walk. And during that year, I actually happened to work for Robert Allen. Mm. But a year into it, they had come to me and said, listen, David, we want to create a Decorators Walk type of program in our company, which is when we launched for Vane. And I went, ended up working for Fabricut and I've been there for 16 years now. Okay. And and your and your role specifically, it seems very broad. It, so. Yeah, I do a bunch of different things. I actually had called my boss and said, you know, what do you want me to call myself on this <laughs> on this podcast? And, um, and what did David say? <laughs> he said, basically, well, just tell him what you do. And so I, I'm, I'm vice president of Fabricut. I work with the export. I work with marketing. I work with showrooms. I work with our licensing 
partners. I do all of our leases because of my law background. Mm. We do all the export together. Um, so I'm involved in many different parts of the Fabricut world. And with Clarence House, my title is principal since we purchased that company just recently. Okay. And let's talk about Clarence House for, for a moment. So you, so you did just purchase that company fairly fairly recently. Two months ago. Right. And you're still very much sort of processing all of that, right? It's it's a whole new world. Yeah. It's, it's so exciting because it's, I thought that I understood this industry and I did from the Fabricut world. I really didn't get it when it came to how the real luxury brands are marketed throughout this country. Mm. You know, and when you look at all these other companies that have been purchased by companies like Fabricut, companies like Kravit, companies like Dura Lee at the time or Robert Allen, they sort of embraced bringing those higher end companies into their world, as opposed to actually looking at what those higher end companies were really good at and how they were operating and what made them successful when they were successful and figuring out how to make it work within their world. And that's what we're trying to do with Clarence House. So instead of bringing Clarence House into our corporate showrooms, instead of bringing Clarence House into our agents, we've basically been working with the agents that currently have Clarence House and trying to fix internally some of the issues that Clarence House had had, not externally to the customer. Right. So to the customer, they're still going into Needler Fauché. They're mm-hmm. still going into Holly Hunt. They're still going into Culp. They're still going to Jerry Perry. They're going into these really high-end showrooms that they're used to finding Clarence House in, and they're still finding Clarence House. Now, we've cut down the SKUs significantly. So it went from 7,500 SKUs to 1,700 SKUs. Big cut. Big cut. But I think we're doing that for the right reasons. They weren't necessarily the fabrics that we're selling. And while we've managed to piss off some hmm. people, we feel like imagine. we're able to build it back up into a much better place from this starting point. Okay. So people were anxious when the news came out that Fabricut was acquiring Clarence House, in part for the very point that you just made, that most companies had a history of folding up this luxury brand into everything else that they were doing. You were making a conscious decision to, to, to not do that. But at the same time, as you say, you cut down the number of SKUs pretty pretty dramatically. And I'm sure for many people, it was somebody's meaningful bolt of fabric that's now no longer uh, available. Correct. And, and Clarence House, so P. Kaufman had owned Clarence House for how many years? I can't remember. I think since 2000. Okay. 2002, something like that. Right. Yeah. So, so the company had already gone through a big, big change and many people felt particularly in these last few years, perhaps, that Clarence House wasn't sort of being given the love and care that it might have otherwise been? I, I can't say. No, I'm, not, I'm not sure that's the case. I think I think P. Kaufman did a really good job with this brand. And, and it's indicative in the fact that the brand itself hasn't lost its luster. Mm. You know, more than anything, you look at these brands and they're slow, you know, sometimes they'll die out. I don't think the brand Clarence House has lost anything in the translation. I feel like Kaufman's done a really good job by that. I think Kaufman got to the point where they felt, you know what, this isn't really our industry. You know, Kaufman, they're converters. Right. And so it, it, they're not, the showroom business isn't their core model. The cut yardage business isn't their core model. And I think that Bob Applebaum and, and Ron Kaufman, they really sat down and they said, you know what, let's focus on what we're really good at in, in this company, which is the converting side of it. Mm. And even though we've done this great thing with Clarence House, maybe we need to find a different home for Clarence House. And that's when we we talked to them about purchasing the company. Right. And it is our business. Yeah. Cut yardage. That's what we do. Right. Inventorying fabric so that a designer wants two yards of fabric. That's what we do. 
And, you know, that's what we excel at. And so it really is much more of a natural fit. That being the case, we didn't necessarily know how to work in the world of the high-end agent showroom business. So while Pierre Frey or Daydar may know how to do that, mm. Fabricut did not. And so our growing pains for the beginning, first couple of months have been really working with the needlers of the world, the Holly Hunts of the world, and learning how they do business right. so that we could figure out the best way to do it with them. And they have been so supportive. I'm, I'm blown away. I, I, I definitely have to give props to the people from Needler and Mark and, and Gina over there. It's where they've, an amazing they, they're, team. They're an amazing team. And yeah, they, no they have really guided us in a world that we were not familiar. Mark Granger from um, Needler said, listen, we got real problems with what's going on. I'm going to fly out next week and I'm going to sit with you guys and we're going to work through all these issues. And they did, he did. And it was amazing. I mean, that, that's not a normal partnership. Yeah, that, that's yeah, yeah. like, that, that's, that's two companies that really want to make it work. Tell me what the, tell me what the appeal was of, of acquiring Clarence House. Did you want to move into this higher end market or did you, did you recognize that Clarence House was this, was this jewel that was available to you? I mean, what was the appeal of, of bringing it into the mix? You know, this is David Finer. Honestly, I, I didn't realize that we were buying Clarence House. Uh, the owner of our business, David, basically called me up. Uh, I, I told you, Dennis, that my wife and I had had a baby prematurely. We were in the NICU for 77 days and sort yeah. of towards the middle of this experience, David Finer called and said, I want you to be available for a call tomorrow morning. And it turned out to be the Clarence House purchase. And, you know, at the time I was... I was crazed. I was not actually in the mood to be thinking about it. Of but the truth was it helped me tremendously because it gave me such a focus mm. while I was going through this process with sure. my wife and our baby. I had said to David years ago, I had said, why, why does Kaufman have Clarence House? Why are they in this business? Right. And he said, I don't know. I don't know. I said, well, why don't you ask Ron if he wants to sell the company? This was years ago, and he, I know he had originally talked to Ron years ago, and Ron was like, well, Bob and I really love this. We're going to do this. And I think that's why Ron reached out to David originally when, when he decided that they no longer were going to be doing it and said to him, now's the time. And I think for David and I think for me and for Nina Butkin, who is another principal now of Clarence House and who's going to be working with, with Kazumi and mm. designing the fabrics, we all looked at it as just like you said, it is the jewel, yes. I feel, yes. of the fabric companies in the United States. It is such an artistic brand. Kazumi is so talented. It's so unique. It's so it's so special that when you see a design, you know it's a Clarence House design. I can't necessarily say that about Fabricut. You know, there's no look or, that or, or I, many or, brands or most brands yeah, exactly. I, that you I mean, look at and say, oh my God, yeah. I recognize yeah. that. And, and, and we should tell listeners who might not be familiar, Kazumi is the longtime artistic director for, for Clarence House, who it looked like was was leaving, but but now it sounds like he's sort of re-energized now that you've come I sure in. hope so. I mean, yeah. I love the guy. He is so talented. It, it's, it's great to work with the designers I've been working with for all these years. It's unique for me to work with an artist, mm. and he is truly an artist. One of the things that I discovered when I was working with uh, Needler and I was working with Holly Hunt and Culp and Jerry Pear and, and all the other companies that we work with for Clarence House was they really truly wanted Clarence House to be 
like Pierre Frey, to be like Daydar, to be Meaning like these, what? Meaning- these iconic brands from these countries. Mm-hmm. So Rubelli from Italy or Daydar from Italy sure. or Pierre Frey or Nobilis from, from France. They wanted us. They wanted an American company like that. Mm. And turns out to be an American company with a British name. Even though everyone <laughs> thinks exactly that it's related exactly. to the uh, but Queen it, Mother's it, it, House, but exactly. it really has but nothing to do not, with that. But it's not, and it's and it's it's a quintessential American yeah. company. And yeah. and to have the continuity of somebody like Kazumi, who's been there for so many years, and Timothy and Joanne, these people have been with the company for years and years and mm. years and years, is just one of the things that I think makes it such an exciting opportunity for us. And I think while I say we cut back our fabrics significantly in the amount of SKUs that we're running in the line, I think it's not for lack of us wanting to continue to grow it. It was more like, let's get this down to a manageable number and let's grow from that number and make it really, let it come back as the iconic brand that that it has been. And then even more so with the amount of inventory we're going to pump into it, the amount of new product that we're going to pump into it, hopefully getting Kazumi excited about creating and and creating and going back to using those beautiful mills um, that there are so few of left in the world now. Well, and so are are those mills available to you? So it's interesting. You know, a lot of the European fabric houses have their own mills, but they actually make fabrics for other companies, Mm. which is great. You know, Decorators Walk had the same thing. Decorators Walk used to have its own print mill and its own weaving facility. It's crazy. Amazing. Small little company. Can't that even imagine. It's crazy I mean, that they had it. But they were making Schumacher prints mm-hmm. and they were making wovens for Brunswick. So that's what the European companies are good at doing. So they're so good at creating their own fabrics. They may not necessarily do the designs necessarily the right way, but they'll create, they'll do whatever you need to do and they're able to construct it. So Pierre Frey has its mills. Liliev has its mills. Holland and Sherry has their own mills mm-hmm. in, in Chile. I mean, they're, they're really great companies that have their own production and are and will manufacture for other companies as well. And so it's not just the great companies like Rati, which makes some of the beautiful prints that we have in Clarence House, or, or or Link that makes some digital prints that we do. It's all of these other European companies that have an arm of their own manufacturing facility mm. as well. We're taking a quick break to give you the insider scoop on the Cherish Trade Program. Join the Cherish Trade Program today and you'll receive new hotshot perks. Earn $75 cash for every $5,000 you spend on the site and access to a trade-only customer service hotline and snappy new project management tools to make your life even easier. And let's not forget the trade program's ongoing key benefits, including net pricing up to 30% off and 48-hour hold capabilities. To get in on the fun today, visit cherish.com backslash trade. That's C-H-A-I-R-I sh.com backslash trade. To make Clarence House work, you've got to navigate this multi-line showroom model in a, in a different way than you used to dealing with with the fabric cut side, right? Where well, we have other multi-line showrooms for fabric yeah. cut, but we don't have this type of multi-line showroom. Exactly. Yeah. So what is more challenging now as a result in, in, in trying to figure out Needler and Holly Hunt and what what's more challenging now with some of these multi-line showrooms? Because this is a conversation we're having a lot these days about trying to figure out how to make the economics of the multi-line showroom work today. It's not easy. Right? The margins are not great, especially yeah. with the landlords. You know, the expenses of running a showroom are so much higher 
than they ever were before. Right. The realist, the dollars are the dollars, you know, and to operate on the margins that these multi-line showrooms have to operate is really dicey, especially in the major markets like New York and Los Angeles, where it's so expensive. Right. The, the strong companies, the companies that are really good at this, you have to work within their framework in order to make it work, I feel. Mm. So we have to learn how to do better by Needler. We have to learn how to do better by Holly Hunt. And that doesn't mean that with the other agents that we have throughout the country for Fabricut, we don't have to do better. It's training us mm. that we have to be better with all of our brands for our agent showrooms because whether it's Needler in Los Angeles or Moda Antica in Denver, where we have all of our Fabricut brands, right. we have to do better by these guys because they really have, it's much harder for them at this point mm. because the margins, the commissions that we pay are the same. The rent yeah. goes it up. goes up, exactly. Exactly. So when Mark from Needler gets on a plane and comes to see you and says, hey, here's what you need to be doing better, what, what does he come and tell you? What, what, what needs to improve and how do you service a multi-line showroom better? Well, for us, it was more of uh, Fabricut was always, this is the way we do it. <laughs> <laughs> and this is how we've always done it. Right. Um, whether it's how we take orders, whether it's how we process things, our credit, how we do our credit applications, how we take credit card information, how we um, how we have access on our website to show agent showrooms and how they use it. We just said, this is the way we do things and this is how we've always done it. And hopefully you can work within our framework. Mm. They'll come sure. and say, listen, it doesn't work for us. <laughs> okay. And we need you to work within our framework so that we can be successful for you. Mm. And we just had to figure out how to work with them within those nuances. And we're not there yet. Trust me, I mean, we've only done this for two months, but we'll get there. We'll mm. do it because not only will it help us in our relationships with these guys, but it is going to completely help us in our relationship with all of our agents throughout the country for Fabricut. Right. So we've got these two distribution networks now. We've got the Clarence House distribution and we've got the Fabricut distribution with the different brands in Fabricut. It's Trend, it's Vervain, it's Stroheim, it's S. Harris, and it's Fabricut. So we are learning how to work better with agent showrooms because of Clarence House. And I believe it'll help us with all of our other brands as well with agent showrooms because we need them to stay in business. Otherwise, there's no way for us to be showing our fabrics throughout the rest of the country. Going back to this notion of what do they, what do they need? Do they, do they need greater sampling? Do they need more reliable inventory numbers? Like what is, what is it they come back to you with, with their list of here's, here's what we need to make your fabric line work in our multi-line model? So one of the things that I think we have a tough time with, and everybody in my company will understand because I complain to them consistently, is the different brands have different complexities. Mm. Fabric and Trend have so much fabric that are that's being pushed out into the marketplace that there's no consistency in when the product comes out. That's okay because they're mostly road brands. And so we're constantly sending new books out, new products out to our sales reps. We have great sales reps, there are about 40 of them around the country. Hmm. We're constantly sending out these fabric books to them and they're constantly out there on the road selling these fabrics. The luxury brands, S. Harris, Vervain, and Stroheim should have seasons, stronger seasons. Meaning they should say, okay, we're coming out now and we're coming out now. We can't come out in the middle. We can't come. We have to get better at that. Mm. Clarence House is teaching us how to do that a little bit better. Okay. And for our agents, they need it as well because they have their sales reps on the road. They need to have that product right. by that time because yeah. their sales reps are taking out Pierre Frey on time. Their sales reps are taking out 
Nobilis on time or Daydar on time. We need to be able to be in that package when they're out there showing it to their customers. If we're not in that package, it's not going out. It's not being shown to their customers. The Clarence House side has also helped when it comes to dealing with a different design client, a decorator. You know, Fabricut is a lot of our business is done with uh, credit applications, just a small little thing, mm -hmm. credit applications. Well, most designers work pro forma, the higher end designers. Right. Most of our Fabricut and Trend customers maybe aren't pro forma, so we need credit applications done on them. So when we originally handed our credit application over to Needler and Holly, and, and they're like, what, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> What's this like, complicated I'm, I'm like, document? I'm just like, nobody wants to fill out no, you know, no. their bank information no. and, and, no. and who they're buying from and how much they're buying from, uh, how much they're buying from them. And I, and I said, yeah, but that's how we do it. They're like, not our customers. Yeah. And so we went back and forth and back and forth. I'm like, can we just do a simple registration for those who don't want credit? Hmm. Well, our company, it took us a while to get there. And the other thing that is very important is we need to actually have a registration with a designer because we that is key to us. Our, our, it's core to our business is that we are selling to designers. To ensure that they are to the trade. We need to have their resale designers. number okay. and we have to have the resale copy of the resale card and we need them to sign the document. Right. So we've developed a new document now that is designer friendly that basically says, I will pay you. Uh, here is my name. Thank you. And we're happy to have you as a client. That's it. Right. Very simple. Took us a while to get there because it's <laughs> okay. just not what we're used it's, to. It's a cultural shift. It's a cultural sure. shift. I but but it's understand. brilliant because <laughs> it's 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 not one of these secrets yeah. of the industry. It's one of those things where you're like, we are in service for you. Yes. We're not judging you to whether or not you can buy from you us. You are worthy, <laughs> worthy of, of buying, buying our, our fabric. fabric. Right. Yeah. We yeah. want to be of service to you, to you, to the designer. And so, again, it's a cultural shift for us, but it's a good one. Hmm. It's a really good one. Well, and and it speaks to the, the the cultural shifts that we as an industry have to keep making as we figure out how customers want to work with us today as a whole, right? So designers, they want to be able to shop on their phone. They want to be able to go online after hours, all of these things. And and you've you've recreated your platform so that you can service designers in in a right, in a much easier way with with Fabricut in general, right? I, I feel like that was what, sort of the beginning of this year, right? When you sort of introduced much more of, a, of an e-commerce look and, and feel? Yeah, I feel like um, our IT division's done an amazing job with our marketing team to put together a website that's really functional. A designer now can go online, can shop however they want, whatever way they want, not just for uh, fabric, but our finished products. Are, it's a really easy tool. Somebody wants to go out in the middle of the night, they're working on a project, they haven't gotten to it during the day. They can literally create the drapery using our fabric on our website, place the order, the drapery gets shipped. It's brilliant. Right. So it's no longer about just going online and being able to shop for blue velvets, as I like to call them, or, or <laughs> right. pink florals. Yeah. You can now do that, but you can also shop for many more things on our website. And can you fully conduct a transaction? Can you check everything. out and pay and everything just so As long as you're a designer and you're in our system, you okay. can do everything online and it could be midnight. Okay. And that's Clarence House now as well? or that Clarence House, yet? we're getting there. Um, okay. We've just developed the website. It's one of these things that as we're learning, we're getting better on both sides. Mm. Clarence House's website has clearly benefited from the technology that Fabricut has developed over the years. And now Fabricut's going to benefit from some of the things that we're learning in Clarence House as well. 
And and so you're still going to continue to run them separately, correct? But but learning from each other, correct? And and, and, and yeah, the back part will be learning from each other. But as brands, you know, all of the other brands are on one website at mm-hmm. Fabrica. Right, but Except not Clarence, for Clarence House. House. Yes, it's also the fabrics are more expensive. There's there's no way around it. Right, they're much more expensive than our other brands for the most part. I'm not saying there aren't items that are as expensive as some of the other items, but in general, it's a more expensive brand. It's hard for me to imagine a consumer going online and spending six hundred dollars retail on a fabric for a yard of fabric. Right, it's not a finished product. It's a yard of fabric for six hundred dollars, and yeah. that's a lot of money to spend. When it comes to home technology, black plastic gadgets are out, and friendly human design is in. With Google Nest, you can get a little extra help at home without sacrificing design. Nest Hub and Nest Mini are designed with soft-color sand fabrics that fit right in on the side table or kitchen counter. And they're powered by the Google Assistant, so you can control your home with your voice. Just say, hey Google, good morning. And the Google Assistant can turn up the heat, turn on the lights, and tell you the latest forecast, traffic on the way to work, and even the headlines. It's a personalized briefing from an assistant that knows you best. It's a little help at home, like only Google can. Today, there's all this discussion, and and we have it often here at this table with people who are convinced that somehow the fabric industry will have to come out of these design centers, the upper floors of these design centers, and either out onto the street where the brands can be more publicly visible and consumers can decide whether they can interact with that product in a meaningful way, to your point, whether they're going to spend hundreds of dollars to buy Clarence House fabric by the, by the yard and be able to go off somewhere and make curtains on their own or, or upholster furniture. You know, in, in, in Europe, everyone seems to have an upholsterer. Everybody seems to have a curtain maker, right? This is what we're told. But in, here in here in New York, they wouldn't know what to do with it, is what people say to us. What what, what do you say? Okay, so even the European model that mm. we've talked about, and any of my friends in the European businesses that I've talked to have said that it's never more than 10% of their business is the consumer. Okay, so that's first. Second, I don't see us being able to have storefronts on Madison Avenue. Because if we're paying a lot of rent now, there's no way we're going to be able to pay a lot it's of rent. On on it's not going to be Avenue. less on, yeah. on uh, even on Third Avenue. It's not going to be less as a storefront. Yeah. So I think that these design centers aren't going away anytime soon. I hope the rent stays pretty stable, but mm. I don't see them going away anytime soon because I can't see us being storefronts to get that extra 10% of business. What I feel is necessary and one of the things that I, f- I feel strongly about is that I, I, I heard David Sutherland talk about this. Mm. I feel it's important that as an industry, we become more accessible to consumers right? so that they know about us. Not that they can purchase necessarily, but that they can know about us and we can educate them as to why it's necessary for them to go out and actually buy that fabric through a designer. Why is it different for them to go out and make their house different through a designer? Why buy our fabric? Why is the fabric expensive? We need to educate them hmm. why the fabrics are as expensive as they are. Well- Sampling isn't cheap, right? You know, sampling's free for everybody in this industry. That's not a cheap thing. In order for us to stay in business, we need to be able to cover those costs. Inventorying thirty million dollars worth of fabric isn't cheap. You know, you have to be able to manage that effectively so that there's actually product there. It's not an inexpensive industry to run, and and so we have to educate these consumers, and we have to get them excited about our products. And in the past, advertising used to play such a big role 
in doing that because mm-hmm. you'd go into any dentist's office and you'd pick up Architectural Digest or House Beautiful and you'd be looking through it and say, oh my God, I love this fabric. You rip out the page and you go find your designer to buy the fabric. It's not happening as much anymore. So it's that much more important where our content and our marketing efforts are so much stronger in reaching out to these consumers because we don't want to lose the consumer. We need the consumer. We want them walking through our showroom and falling in love with our fabrics. We still want them to use a designer to go buy that fabric, I feel. Mm. It's interesting. You mentioned about marketing and, and advertising and Clarence House was famous for extraordinary advertising. They were amazing. Um, amazing. Yeah. And they were memorable and, and people would rip them out. And whether you were looking for fabric or not, I, I mean, I would go to so many designers' offices where they would just be up on bulletin boards and whether it was the fish or the, I mean, there were, there were so many that were just really, really memorable. And, and as you say, it, it doesn't seem possible to make an impact in that same way. People don't talk today about their great ad campaign. Right. I mean, who- look at all of my competitors. Look at us. I mean, nobody spends that much time and effort anymore in their advertising in magazines. Yeah. But what people are talking about all the time is, oh, my God, did you see that Instagram campaign? Mm. So that you want to get more and more content, try and get as good content as you possibly can. Hopefully work with as many designers who are willing to share with you how they've used the fabric. Because that's the other key when you talk about a Clarence house. OK, so this fabric costs two hundred fifty dollars a yard. How do I use it? How do I use it in a way that literally when somebody walks in the room, they're going to be blown away? That's what I need the designers to help us with. I want to show what you did to change the way that this house looked in a way that was meaningful, that the customer, the client, your client walked in the door and was like, oh my God, this is my home. I am so excited. That's what I want Clarence House to be. I want these designers to walk in the door and find I'm being inspired when I walk in the store. And interestingly, that used to be why you came to the design centers years ago. And and Clarence House is a perfect example. Designers used to be so excited to come and see what Robin Roberts was doing and and, and to see this beautiful fabric and, and, and this art. I mean, as you were saying earlier, this was art. And it was, a, it was a collaborative and creative environment, and it doesn't seem to feel that way anymore. I don't know too many designers are saying to me, Dennis, I'm going to the D&D building right now to go get inspired. I, I, How do we change okay, that? Okay, so I'm, uh, my, my wife will always say I'm the Mr. Glass half full, and I really am. I believe that that will be the future of our industry again. I believe that if people are going to go out and spend that kind of money on fabrics, they're going to want to be, it's going to have to be part of this whole experience. It's not just, I'm going online, I'm going to spend $600 on a fabric per yard. I am going to go through the process of going through these showrooms. I'm going to go through these wings until I find something that inspires me for my client. So let's get it even more granular talking about the fabric industry now, because we've talked about the fact that, so one of the challenges today great big rents. And and that is hard for both our multi-line partners and it's hard for all of your flagship showrooms. You've talked in the past about how Fabric Cut's been smart and kept showrooms fairly small scaled, right? So you don't have giant, nothing like when Decorators Walk used to have the Correct. entire 18th floor of the D&D building. You've kept your spaces small, even though you've got furniture now as part of your mix. You're not going crazy. It's not a sofa showroom suddenly that you're opening up. So you're going to show representation of things and, and, and that works for you. The other big challenge, and I'm guessing this is even more so with Clarence House, is 
sampling costs, the, the bane of the existence of any fabric company. And and to give our listeners a little bit of perspective, some fabric companies tell me it's 10% of revenues. It could be anywhere between 10 and 15%. Okay. I, again, not to get overly granular here, but I mean, you've looked at the f- freight costs. You were talking about figuring out freight recently, right? And tell me, tell me some of the decisions you've made around that. Well, uh, you know, they're tough decisions and they're not, they're not, they're not easy decisions because we do want to be as helpful as we possibly can to the designer. But we did implement at Fabricut a charge for freight for memos, but it's not for all of our designers. It's designers who aren't doing significant business with us. Um, if you do over a, a pretty minimal amount of business, <laughs> the, 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 the freight charge goes away. But what we were discovering was there were so many designers who had, were, just ordering memos and we weren't getting the sales from them that it just became an extraordinary expense for us. I, I can't imagine it's any different for any of my sure. competitors. No, of course. Um, and we, we decided as a company that we had to defray some of those costs so that we could stay in business. I feel as if we can have a more collaborative conversation with the design community in general they they want Clarence House to survive. They want S. Harris to survive and and be there for them, bringing them into the process and helping them understand. Which again gets to this this transparency, which is a which is a big topic of discussion in our industry right now. And to my thinking, part of the transparency is helping them to understand the costs involved of bringing these products to to market. Right and and sampling is is huge as is supplying all your multi line showrooms with new wings and everything else that goes along with. Is there still the need today for all of this new product? Is that one of the problems that the industry has had in recent years? That there's so much product out there. You've scaled back a lot of product at Clarence House, for example, and I and I'm assuming you must go through some sort of skew rationalization in house at all the other brands as well. Yes. And yes. And yes. <laughs> um, I, you know, David Finer will laugh because I, since I've come to the company 16 years ago, I was like, you're putting out too much damn product. You're putting out too much right. damn product. You're putting out too much product. You're putting out too much product. You're putting, for Fabricut and Trend and all of our brands. Uh, sure. We are much more careful how much product we're putting out, making sure that there's a story behind, especially in the luxury parts. There's a story behind what you're bringing out and why you're bringing it out. Mm-hmm. You marketing it effectively, and you could do the same thing with a hundred SKUs as you could with two hundred SKUs in a season for each of the brands. And so, and then when it comes to fabric and trend, which are these massive consumable products, you have to sort of balance it because you want to have product out there, you want to have shelf space out there on your designers' shelves. So it's a balancing act. So it seems like, despite all these discussions that we have in the industry about what the future holds. You don't think a lot is going to change in the next five years as to how fabric companies are doing business with interior designers. It sounds like you think we're going to be in design centers. Designers are they're shopping more online. We we're all acknowledging that, but that many of them still want to come and physically see fabric in a design center, and you've got to be there, and that's got to hopefully be a really good experience. And But that not a lot's really going to change. We're not really going to be selling a lot to consumers. It doesn't sound like you feel like. I, I, you're talking five years? I don't think so. I, I think the transparency thing for the consumer is going to be the key over the next five years. I do feel strongly that people are going to want more color in their lives. We live in a pretty gray world right now. Hmm. It's really 
kind of depressing what's going on everywhere, you know, in the world, not just the United States, but everywhere. I go everywhere and it's- And, and the gray is happening all over the gray world. Gray is happening every, everywhere. Yeah. Color has to come back hmm. because if you're going to want some type of respite, it's going to be in your home and you're going to come home and you're going to want life. Right. And life is going to be in color and in design. And I really do feel strongly that people are going to come back to that. And I feel like they want to come home to an environment that's not a gray environment. I'm not saying gray is not a good color to have. We have a lot of gray in our lines. Sure. It's but an important I do color, a sophisticated but, color. But I do feel like color and design is, is going to be critical mm-hmm. in the future because the world is gray. Our job now, more than ever, is finding ways to get the consumer excited about our fabrics and then finding the designer to purchase them. But I think that Again, we're unique. We sell a yard of fabric. We're not selling necessarily a made thing. We need somebody to come in and show the consumer, okay, you love this fabric. This is how we're going to make it the most beautiful thing in your house. Earlier, you talked about how unpredictable this industry has become. It used to be much easier to sort of project what your sales were going to be next year or year after that. What, what has made this industry become so unpredictable in, 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 in recent years? You know, Dennis, I don't think it's just recent years. This industry has gone through ups and downs for so many years. I mean, I, I've only been doing it for 20 years. I'm sure people who have been here longer have seen the ups and downs of the economies through the years. Mm. The ups and downs of companies were not, you know, this isn't the first time in this industry that companies have closed or companies have merged into other companies and have sold there are cycles. Yeah. And I think that we're just, we're going through different cycles. And so our job is to manage our inventory properly, mm. manage our sample costs properly, manage our expenses. Like you said, we don't have these majorly huge showrooms that we can't manage properly, right. yeah. manage our personnel properly and making sure that we have happy employees who work for us. I think they're a little bit stressed because we have so much we're going, we're doing now, but it's still, you want them to be happy employees. And so we have to manage all of those things to be able to accommodate a 2008 because that'll happen again. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's not the first and it's not the last and it'll happen again. And so the people who survive are the ones who are really have looked at their, have run their businesses as if everything was 2008, always, you know, and as long as you have that mentality that you're always worried that what happens when the recession comes, because it will come, you're running your business properly. And, and is that a conversation you're having more lately because more and more signs are pointing to this recession in the, in the Listen, U.S. being more we're, possible? We're an Oklahoma company. We believe that everything is wonderful. <laughs> um, you know, this is the red world that we're living in right now. And so as far as we're concerned, everything is glorious. But yeah. the truth is, is that, yeah, we do think like that. We're, sure. we're always, we know that, you know, it's 2008. Now we're 2019. It's been a growing economy since 2008. Just here in New York, you saw the paper last week where they said the prices have fallen so much in the real estate market here in New York that it's it's crazy. Yeah. So that's going to happen. You know, just up and down our block here on 29th Street, how many buildings are going up right now and the, and the, and the real estate market is collapsing? That's crazy. The great thing about a company like Fabricut is we're diversified in a way that if it's really horrible here in New York, maybe it's not so horrible in Omaha mm-hmm. and it's not so horrible in Tulsa and it's not so horrible in Dallas and Houston. Well, what happens when the oil industry collapses? Texas becomes a casualty. Oklahoma becomes a casualty. Sure. So you have to always be prepared. Like I said, if you plan like it's a recession all the time, you can be a very successful business. 
you know, you want to be lean and able to maneuver through those difficult times when you know they're going to come. And then if you can, you survive. And one of the great things about Fabricut is we don't have any debt. And having no debt is one of those things that, you know, you have your you have your salaries, you have your rent, you have your sample costs and inventory, and then you've got your debt. And managing your debt is huge. If you can't pay that bank payment, that becomes a problem no matter what your sales are. You end up chasing your tail constantly trying to figure out how to pay that debt down. Sure. We're lucky. Our, our owners have managed to manage a business that is now pretty debt-free, and that helps us in our abilities to finance projects from within and to look at it, to look at life a little bit rosier hmm. than maybe some of our competitors. Okay, and so you've you've renewed your lease at the PDC. Uh, I'm sure Stephen no, we Fredericks didn't renew, is happy about we that. We didn't renew the lease. We actually took a different floor. We're on the we're moving to the sixth floor of the PDC, which is awesome. You're moving to the sixth floor. We're with the big boys. Wow. Yeah, very exciting. Okay, so how how many square feet? Sixty one hundred square feet. But again, okay. not a, no, no, no. a manageable, not a crazy amount of not space, crazy amount of space a manageable okay. amount of space. Yeah. Okay. But but that's you looking out and saying this is this is still going to be the future, that that the Pacific Design Center is where enough designers are coming that it makes sense for us to move to the sixth floor with the big boys. All you have to do is look at, at, at Melrose. The showrooms are closing on Melrose. All you have to do is look at La Cienega. A lot of the showrooms are not making it on La Cienega. That experiment of moving down to the street didn't work as well. There are some that are sure. successful, yeah. um, but some of them are not. And so for us, right now, we, we picked, we feel the best floor in the PUDC. We were lucky. Steve Fredericks was great and Charles Cohn was great and we love them and we're very happy that we've got that space. We just started construction on it and we feel like we've made the right decision there. We feel around the country that we're pretty happy with where we are. You know, there may be one or two showrooms that we need to move to a little bit bigger spaces, but not much. I okay. think we're pretty happy. Okay. All right. Well, a surprisingly optimistic conversation from from David Claristenfeld, <laughs> but uh, I guess being debt free makes one feel more optimistic about a great many things. It yeah. sounds like. Yep. Yeah. What did we decide your title was? Oh, uh, Vice President Fabricut. Vice uh, President Fabricut. Principal Clarence House. Principal Clarence yeah, House. I don't know what that means, but yeah. okay. Well, it sounds impressive. It does, one, doesn't right? it? Yeah. It I does. Know, we don't have managing directors in the United States. That would be fun. You know. Yeah. That would be. We don't have those. Europeans have those. Uh, and it's such a great title, It's a right? great, Managing I like director. I like that title. Shh, David, I didn't say that. <laughs> I, I, yeah, that's I, what, I he, like that's that what he's edging for, David. No, I don't like that title. Well, David, thank you so much for spending time with us. I thank really appreciate it. Thank you so much, it. Dennis. Our guest has been David Claristenfeld, who's a vice president, who's principal at Clarence House and vice president at Fabricut. Thank you again. Thank you, Dennis. Really appreciate it. Thank you again for listening. If you're enjoying these conversations, I hope you'll consider sharing the podcast with a friend or heading over to the iTunes store to leave us a review. It helps others to discover the show. We love your feedback. Please give us your thoughts at podcast at businessofhome.com. Our show was produced by Fred Nicolaus and Lauren Pirelli. And I'm Dennis Scully. We'll see you next week. fabrics of Fabricut that actually got us successful in Russia was the fact that I could outdrink any of my um, competitors, except for Christian Fischbacher, the fifth or fourth. Oh. Uh, yeah, he, he was pretty good. He, he could put it away. He was better than I. Well, and the, and, and the Russians in, in general, is that, is that, a, is that an a accurate cultural, stereotype? It's, it's a cultural thing. It is. So, that, so they can just down all that vodka? And yeah, wait, I, I think and wait. over the years it's gotten less okay. as part of the thing. Now they'll drink scotch too. Um, mm, but right. 